Welcome to the 14th episode of the Uneasy Podcast. My name is Isis. This podcast is about many of the uneasy conversations we go over and over in our minds. In this 14th episode, we will continue our conversation with Garth and talk about the media's efforts in branding identity as a means to justify negative stereotypes and demeaning cultures, as well as the power system we've accepted. Garth and I are specifically addressing the media's influence and power. I first want to give another big thank you to Garth for his time and wisdom. This episode will only touch the surface of our current state and why we have chosen to accept or reject the system of control. Take notes, Garth has a lot of great contemporary references I encourage you to look into. I also want to encourage you to reach out and share your uneasy thoughts, uneasy reactions, uneasy suggestions, and uneasy stories. I want to gather all of your input and with your permission to share, create our own series of episodes featuring topics you would like to discuss. Last episode, we sort of alluded to the idea of the symbiotic relationship between good and evil. I believe while the two are not equal in size, influence, and impact, they both need one another to continue. I think of it as sort of a delicate ecosystem where there are different contributing parts to an environment, some big, some small, but without a single element, it will not function properly or have purpose. Last episode, I asked you to dive a little deeper into the events leading up to Baltimore. How does the system seek out, attract, filter, and train its police force? Have you looked into how your local police force attracts candidates? What type of person is required to fulfill such agenda? How do they consider the citizens they are to protect, handle, and manage? What measures are in place to justify its existence and continuation? I remember talking to a friend a while ago who was going through their training to become an officer, and I was told that as a part of their probationary period, they must guard a prison for a year. Again, please check out the books From the Plantation to the Prison, as well as Slavery by Another Name, which both books break down the establishment of our prison system. So I think anyone having to spend any time in confinement will feel a change. I don't think you could just walk away from that type of situation unaffected and unscathed. I also believe that requiring a potential police candidate to spend a year guarding a prison might influence their perspective on which particular group belong in that system. I insist that instead of requiring these candidates to guard prisons, why not become a big brother or sister for a year? Why not work for a nonprofit? instead of encouraging time in military, why not consider the time involved helping the efforts of some disaster as desirable? I think that will definitely help to reposition the notion of people as thugs, criminals, and up to no good. And just think of the shift in prison population if every police officer, current and potential, was a big brother or sister. They can have a true vested interest in the success of the population of people they are serving and protecting. Such negative identities and characteristics go beyond the practice ideology among police and have now infiltrated our own considerations. How we should view and perceive others is constantly instructed through media. Negative stereotypes are played out in almost every program you watch, and some may creep up on you when you least expect them. If you happen to have access to American children's programming, tell me which characters always seem to be dressed in an orange jumpsuit. I remember, um Years ago, I don't know if it was the same Academy Awards or if it was a different, there were two different occasions. Halle Berry got a 
I don't remember if it was like the best actress award or whatever for, remember Monsters Ball? And the same year Denzel was awarded for his role in Training Day. And I, I looked at that and I said, another big slap in the face. She's degraded, he's a pimp, his character, you know, he's a dirty, foul, manipulative, criminal cop. And she's basically, you know, a hoe. It's a lot deeper than that. I certainly don't want to take away from the sort of intricacies of each role because I like both films. I love the hell out of Training Day, except for the ending. But <laughs> for them to be held in such high esteem by the Academy for those roles, that wasn't right. That wasn't right at all. It was, it's a slap in the face. You telling me that Denzel's role in Training Day was more worth an award than his role in Malcolm X? Certainly not, but it's the Academy. Who runs the Academy? And there you go. As a grown-up, I've been looking outside the box since I was 12. You know, it always felt like there was something wrong with the world. I knew it wasn't just because. Poor people aren't poor just because they're poor, or they're dumb, or they're stupid, or they're unable to achieve. There's a reason for this. Why? And so I, start, I really started to question things when I was 12, 13 years old. Like, I was the kid at the dinner table who my parents didn't want to talk because I was always bringing uncomfortable stuff up. You know, it all started to make sense. Once I started reading, once I started really researching, once I got into media that was outside the mainstream and dialoguing with people who kind of felt the same. I take what the media gives with a grain of salt, if you will. I don't, you know, I, I know, I understand what it is and I know why. So I don't look at it as something that, I don't hold any of that stuff in high esteem. You know what I mean? Like, oh, the Academy Awards, great. But I know what that is. Grammys, I've been there. I actually, you know, was a part of that for a while. I saw on the inside, I know what that is. I get it, there's an agenda. At the end of the day, the revenue is going to a small few. And when you really look inside their pockets, you see that they're basically into everything. And there's a, there's a through line. There's a, there's a singular method to the madness. There's a singular agenda. And it's, it's a worldwide thing. And uh, it's unfortunate, but like you said, I think it goes back to, um, you made a great strong point about, you know, the necessity, you know, and the sort of symbiotic nature of that relationship, you know. I had a visitor last night and um, we were talking about something very similar. And I told him to peep the psychology of like the Jack and the Beanstalk story because a lot of this narrative goes like way back. You know, the idea that the few or the one has to rule over the many. You know, and Jack and the Beanstalk is very much that, that allegory. You know, that the metaphor for the 1% versus the 99%. Jack finds these magic beans, right? You could look at that as science, you know, biochemistry, psychology, spirituality, all the sort of tools that are used to, you know, hide, control, manipulate. Climbs up to these higher heights, finds all this wealth, and there's a giant. And he steals all this stuff and he gets away with it. And to me, it's like you were able to figure out a way to manipulate and control the masses and steal their wealth, the resources. Because all, all government has become 
and I think has been really, is a way, and I think this was uh, talked about in um, the Zeitgeist films, but I remember watching the first Zeitgeist film. You should check it out when you get them in. I think there's three of them now. Uh, they're online for free. You can just watch them. The film basically breaks down the system of controls and it, it, it groups them into like three, the first film groups them into three main systems. You have the religious system, you have the, the, the sort of um, war machine, and you have the financial institution. And it uses those three to, to basically tell the tale and to break down what the current zeitgeist is and why it is that way. You know, zeitgeist meaning like the sort of the way things are right now. It talked about how government is set up as a middleman between people and resources. And we have a divine right to those resources. And then governments came in and said, we'll control it so you don't have to worry about it. You pay us and we'll take care of everything for you. And that's what they do. It's like a middleman to prevent humanity, their God-given right to access and to utilize and to control their own destinies by these resources. It's amazing. It's like the greatest magic trick ever pulled, you know, and it's all an illusion. Have you seen, did you ever see uh, THX 1138? It's the first film that George Lucas did out of uh, film school. He did a a film, a, a version for his thesis. I think it was at USC film school. It's like a short film. It's also great. Uh, but the actual feature film, it's basically a society set in the future and it's underground because, you know, whatever has happened to the earth has happened. And, you know, the, the inhabitants of this underground world are controlled by the ruling class using drugs. And uh, you have to take your drugs on time and they pair you with a mate. And I don't think people are allowed to have sex. And, you know, they, they control all this by drugs. And he basically rebels, I think, after, I think his mate, I don't remember what happens, but there's a rift somewhere. So he starts not taking his drugs and, you know, next thing you know, it's like this whole journey for him. Dope movie. You just, you know, there's there's like echoes of this film that he put into like Star Wars and his, the name of his sound company is called THX. And, you know, there's like uh, Princess Leia was being held in cell 1138 and you know, all these little different things. And George Lucas, I mean, that guy, if I could like get in front of him, I mean, you know, I don't know how many secrets this guy has. The media is, uh, is a system of conditioning. It's, uh, it's behavioral science. If they were presented with the alternative, what would they choose? It's like uh, the, the character who played Judas in The Matrix. I don't care if the machines made all this up. It tastes like steak. I'd rather be eating steak than this goop every day. I think there's probably a lot of those people. Sometimes it's like, what's it worth? which gets into more of a spiritual conversation. I assume and I know and I've discovered and it makes sense and I see the bigger picture and it's very scary and it's very dark and it's very, um, you could call it depressing. So what am I doing? What's my purpose? What's my role in this? If I know, why aren't I doing more? What could I be doing? What else could I be doing or what should I be doing? besides just presenting things in that context that could make a small difference. If it is a war and I'm aware and you know I wanna be on a certain side, well, what am I doing to help fight that war? I mean, and really at the end of the day, what can any of us do?
And I think that is a big question. So what have you chosen to accept? What do you challenge? What have you given up on? Next episode, we'll continue our conversation with Garth and focus our discussion on encouragement and perseverance. So please check it out. Also, please rate this episode, leave a comment, subscribe to the Uneasy Podcast. I would love to hear from you. For more details about this episode, please visit Quasi Sound's website. I've included more information about this episode for you to enjoy, as well as the music I use throughout the show. And while you're there, please buy my book. I sincerely appreciate your support, and it will help continue creating more content. Thank you for listening to the Uneasy Podcast.